Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Three, Danny, now to talk a, a little L.A. Clippers for this season. A team now that has lost basically its entire identity from just two years ago. Chris Paul left via free agency. or I'm sorry, well, technically a trade, but could have left as a free agent. That was the impetus for it. Blake Griffin traded in what I think we all agree is a pretty good trade for the organization around the trade deadline last season. And then DeAndre Jordan allowed to leave in free agency. He is now a Dallas Maverick. What is this team now? What do they have? Uh, They have a lot of good players, uh, but uh, no stars per se. Lou Williams got some borderline all-star consideration last year, but they sure have a lot of depth on this team. Yeah, this is a a wild collection of talent because and they and they have a lot of guys that I like. I mean, Tobias Harris had a, a a very kind of underrated year just because he was on two teams that didn't really make much of a dent, the Pistons and then the Clippers. But he's blossomed, not quite like Oladipo, but he has certainly blossomed since he left Orlando in a kind of a somewhat similar fashion. But then also all the the kind of depth pieces they like we talked we talk about sometimes how hard it is to get wings well they split their non-taxpayer mid-level exception between Luke Richard and Bob Mute and Mike Scott both guys that provided significant value to their teams last season and they lost Austin Rivers but they retained Avery Bradley and depending on what Avery Bradley we see that's probably going to be a net upgrade for them yeah Bradley struggled a year ago eventually ended up having to have surgery for a groin slash hernia not clear exactly exactly what it was uh, but the hope is that he could be healthy he returned 12.5 million this season 12.5 million next season although only a small portion of that i think 1.5 million off the top of my head is guaranteed for the next year this is a team that is going to be trying to get into free agency next year a lot of guys on expiring contracts which is going to be a dynamic to monitor here i just want to kind of go over what they were last season and obviously those trades were made they moved on from blake griffin although he didn't play for almost a month or more than that uh, with that knee injury they started off reasonably well then griffin went down they looked to be totally out of playoff consideration at i think 15 and 21 15 and 22 something like that and then roared back and really were right in the playoff race until the very end when it looked like they were gonna get eliminated they did get eliminated and uh then they dropped their last few games to finish at 42 and 40 but they put together the eighth ranked offense in the 
the NBA last year, but only the 19th ranked defense a year ago. And I think probably the most relevant stats that we can look at here are what it looked like after they made the trade for Tobias Harris. What are the stats there? So if we're looking within that more narrow time frame, that's only about 30 games. I think it's 31. They were eighth in offense, so they continued that strong play, and they were 23rd in defense. Yeah, and I think that is the big concern for this team this year. Now, I think Avery Bradley, though, listeners of the show will know that we believe he's been overrated as a team defender in terms of his team impact. He was unavailable. Patrick Beverly missed nearly the entire season. We'll see where he's going to be in the rotation. Miles Teodosic missed nearly the entire season. Not someone who's going to help them necessarily defensively. Lou Williams will definitely not be helping them <laughs> defensively. Uh, Danilo Gallinari missed almost the entire season. Uh, he probably won't help them very much defensively Tobias Harris is average on defensive best but they got Luke Mbamute who is uh, one of the best defensive players on the wing in the NBA and then at center it's interesting too I think Martin Gortat is a much always been a much better offensive center and really especially at this point in his career is a below average defender at the center position and then uh, Montrezl Harrell really doesn't have the size to do much defensively and then they got Boban too so yeah I don't see how this team I I think it's to be tough for them to get into the top half of the league in defense. You agree with that? It's definitely a concern when two of your, maybe your two best defensive players, them and Mbamute, are at the one and the two, just because while that can make a big difference in certain circumstances, their, you know, their rim protection, all that kind of stuff is going to be concerning. And yeah, they have nobody on this team who can block a shot. Nobody who's going to scare you at the rim at all. Yeah. And it's, it's also going to be worth watching. So in terms of that effectiveness last year, they, you know, they, they, I think they gave up a pretty strong percentage of shots at like like got teams made shots at the rim and I think that's going to grow a lot more this year because while DeAndre Jordan sometimes got himself out of position because he was a little bit jumpy he was still a whole hell of a lot better there than Gortat and while Mute, Beverly, Avery Bradley are all good defenders they're more man-to-man rather than help defenders so if if something if a seam is given up by even if it's not by those guys if it's Lou Williams or somebody else there isn't a lot of recovery on this team which is very concerning yeah interesting to note actually that DeAndre Jordan we thought that he was always overrated as a defender even when you know Doc Rivers was pumping him up as a defensive player of the year candidate that the fact that he was making all NBA teams at center really didn't make much sense I think to either of us but I thought he really slipped defensively last year in terms of his effort in terms of his concentration uh, his ability to get out on the floor and he actually had the worst net rating of anyone on the Clippers other than Ty Wallace after the trade uh and he actually now part of that is because lou williams didn't start and they desperately needed lou williams's offense and deandre jordan did start and so really when the big thing that dropped off was the offense with deandre jordan out there but he didn't really seem to improve the defense he had and harrell about the same defensive rating during that time period those were their two primary centers at that point uh boban played 170 minutes and so not really enough to, to draw any conclusions from although he had an awesome net rating a, a lot of that it seems like the whole part, thing of that was that crazy Boban game uh, in Denver where he and Teodosic were like locking down defensively and just killing people um, yeah really they were not able to defend effectively with just about anyone on the floor except for Sindarius Thornwell and Avery Bradley uh, and so maybe there's some indication alright if you they just have one guy who could defend on the wing maybe that will really 
actually help them but it's just really so hard to defend effectively when you've got Lou Williams out there regularly and I mean he's going to have to play a ton because I, I think without him on the floor while they have a lot of solid offensive players they don't really have anyone who can push you to be above average yeah it's it's going to be a challenge for them on both ends. it's something that I wanted to talk about a little bit with DeAndre Jordan from last year I, I wanted to look into this was that the Clippers have been top five in rim field goal percentage so field goal percentage at the rim throughout the Chris Paul era last year DeAndre Jordan you know not at quite as much of a warhorse as he always is but pretty dang close because that's what DeAndre Jordan is they dropped from top five to 16th it, but their frequency so like the proportion of their shots at the rim actually went up so rim shots are still better and so now we're going to get into well how does all that stuff fit in without Chris Paul and now without DeAndre Jordan because Gortat doesn't operate in the same space and he you know he he can shoot a little bit out you know he could maybe pull his guy out a little bit and create some lanes for drivers but if they're not getting as much of that kind of easy offense there as they were before just because of the the, the gravity of Jordan as a role man and everything else then maybe that starts to sap some of their offensive p- potential you know I think you can make the argument though that at this point in time Harrell is a better offensive player than DeAndre Jordan I don't know if I'm I totally agree with that but I thought Harrell showed some really nice things with his ability to catch the ball in the mid-range put the ball on the floor for one or two dribbles and attack the rim which was an element that DeAndre Jordan certainly didn't have Harrell doesn't quite have the bounce to just you know DeAndre Jordan might be the best alley-oop catcher in NBA history when at his peak which he wasn't at anymore uh so I mean he, he could still be effective around there he actually shot free throws better last year as well but you know Harrell is, is fine enough from the free throw line compared to DeAndre you know he's not really a hack a candidate he's not a great free throw shooter but he's wasn't bad enough that he was a hack a candidate and he's still Harrell's a solid enough finisher and alley-oop guy around the room and Gortat isn't again DeAndre Jordan but he's an excellent screen setter always will be a good pick and roll big uh, either on or off balls as a screen setter still can catch and finish around the basket offers a slight post-up game which you probably don't really want to go to very much um so I don't know I mean I think that's a big part I don't expect and I think that's a big part of why our evaluation of this team that could be wrong but I don't expect there to be that big of a downgrade for what they get out of Gortat and Harrell versus DeAndre I think it'll be a little bit of one but I don't think it's uh gonna be massive what do you make of that I think it's it's possible. It'll it'll be interesting to see because we we talk sometimes about how defenses can have lagging indicators, and so DeAndre Jordan certainly scares teams more than those guys do, but he probably shouldn't have. So we'll see how much of an impact that really has for driving lanes and all that. My bigger concern offensively for this team is not really about the center position; it's just who's going to be generating the seams. I mean, Patrick Beverly, solid overall all around player, but like Avery Bradley, his best moments offensively have come with another more capable ball handler next to him when Beverly's case that was James Harden in Houston and in Bradley's case that was IT in Boston and now you're probably putting those two guys together and Tobias Harris can shoulder some of that load when Lou Williams is in the game of course he can do a lot too but to me when with what I think they want to start with that that starting five it's going to be a lot on Tobias Harris to generate offense and Gallo to the extent that he can actually play will probably be on him too assuming he's starting but there are going to be some real challenges for for managing this team and that's where i wanted to to go next but if you really like this show and i presume if you're listening you do you really need to subscribe to the athletic which to me is revolutionizing sports coverage no pop-ups 
no auto-playing videos. I mean, those were just incredibly annoying. No pleas to turn off your ad blocker. And I know uh, when I was talking to Anthony Slater about working at The Athletic, what he said was, I love it here because I have so much freedom now to write what I want to write, to write stuff that's in-depth, that matters, that's not just some newser about Sean Livingston straining his groin and he's going to miss the next three games and just get some content out so we can get ads on it. They don't have to do that anymore. The writers at The Athletic, they get the best writers and then they wind them up and let them do their thing the warriors coverage is unbelievable with slater they've got the best four writers about the warriors slater kawakami marcus thompson ethan strauss i'll even read ethan strauss when he writes about baseball frankly and you've heard a lot of their great writers on the show danny of course you can get all of his stuff at the athletic as well he just wrote a great piece last week on why the 2019 offseason is going to be so fascinating. So you want to hear about that. You can sign up at theathletic.com slash capspace to get 40% off your first year of subscription. Once again, that's theathletic.com slash capspace. We're just starting to work with them now, hoping that this can grow into a larger partnership. And obviously, uh, if more of you guys sign up, we can make that happen. Theathletic.com slash capspace is that URL to get 40% off your first year of subscription description and let them know that you came from us all right let's start in the backcourt this is going to be fun let's put all these guys in order of how much they're going to play and it's going to be difficult because you know there's a lot of injuries <laughs> potentially involved here as well at point guard and, and the other thing that's crazy is a lot of these guys can at least either offensively or defensively shift between all of these positions but i mean i think they've got really seven guys who might plausibly get minutes at the one and the two patrick beverly milos teodosic shea gilgis alexander drafted uh, had a really nice summer league first time we've mentioned his name even avery bradley lou williams jerome robinson cinderius thornwell i i can like g-chat those to you in case you're <laughs> you're having trouble remembering all all no, seven I, of them because they're i, I got it yeah so i'm gonna go avery bradley one not only does he have experience with doc rivers before but he can be a, a good player and have a player i can imagine doc liking also oh, that's interesting. i think it's got to be lou williams doesn't it i think they'll end up playing those guys together a lot in various iterations but I, yeah. I think Avery Bradley is going to be like the, the starter and also Lou Williams I, I think they'll have more options on the bench this year so they won't need to use him as a crutch offensively as much as they did last year also he's one of the only guys that stayed healthy I mean Lou led this team in minutes last year even yeah. over DeAndre he played in 77 healthy. games other than the one year he tore his ACL I don't think he's had oh, any no, major no, injuries that I recall. no I wasn't talking about Lou Williams staying healthy no it's 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 the whole team like I think if the other oh, guys okay. do then they'll just they won't need as much from him and gotcha. then maybe he'll play him a little bit less so I'm gonna go Beverly or sorry not Beverly Beverly one, Bradley one, Lou two, Beverly three, then Shea. I, I I thought he looked good in summer league, and he's you know he's a key so, part of. So you future. think he'll play more than uh, Milos? I do. I also think yeah. there's a chance that Milos gets hurt and everything. I also think there's a chance that yeah. Tadosic gets traded. There's no chance they're trading yeah. Shea. No, I mean I, I, so. I think and I think a team like Orlando should try to acquire him or Phoenix. Uh, like there was that kind of speculation that there was going to be something with Kakashkov, but then it yeah. ended up being that everybody picked up their op- everybody kind of kept it together. So he's sticking there for now. And then, so after those guys, yeah, we're not even mentioning Jawan Evans, poor Jawan Evans, but yeah. I think I'll go Tado- I'll, I'll, I'll go Tadosic, Thornwell, Robinson. I think, but Robinson could easily be over Thornwell. I just, the defense and Thornwell played well last year. I, I would like to see him get an opportunity. So I'll go with that for now. Yeah, I'll start at the bottom. I think Robinson clearly will be last 
last out of these guys uh after that though it, it gets tough I, yeah i'm starting to believe you on milos it, it seems like they just kind of like we talked about this how there was no reason not to guarantee him other than you know they're a little close to the tax line but they should still have enough room it's not a huge concern so you might as well just guarantee him and keep him around even though you know i'm not really sure that he's a, a huge part of their plans frankly um you know both he and beverly are huge injury risks and Shea is someone that they really want to develop you have to imagine that Shea is going to at least get some entitlement minutes uh, and I don't think Teodosic you know Teodosic is probably even better than Shea this year and he brings some certain elements to be sure and, and I think he's a, a decent fit with some of the guys whether it's Beverly or Bradley in the backcourt Lou Williams presumably they're not going to start him so that that lends some interesting things as well like who's going to start uh for this team and then who the closing lineups could be I and mean, this is just imp- impossible here uh but yeah so Jerome Robinson last I think Teo is going to be second to last both when you consider health and just the fact that he kind of doesn't really seem to be that big a part of the plans then I would say Thornwell, although if Avery Bradley gets hurt, I think you could see Thornwell play a lot more. Uh, but without that, he's pretty I think redundant you could see, with Bradley. You could see Thornwell start if Avery Bradley gets hurt, depending on how they now, want to structure the yeah. rotation. Yeah, you could also see Thornwell playing some at the three, uh, you know, though they have a, a decent number of guys there also. But yeah, so then I'll, I'll say Thornwell, then Shea, then Beverly, then Bradley, and then Lou Will. Because Lou Will is the one guy, I think he's going to play the most because he's the one guy who doesn't have a replicable skill i mean i think all, all of these other guys are redundant with one another to some degree or are young guys or, and shay is the future there at the ones so they're going to want to give him some entitlement minutes probably so i think lou is going to play the most because number one he's the, by far the best player of these guys or at least was last year and then you throw in that his skill is not really replicable and as you said they don't really have anyone else who is a great penetrator to uh, get to the rim and score or even create jump shots with, with the ball in their hands the way that lou williams can so i, I think lou will probably play the most out of all these guys i, well, and I, mean, this I gets, agree with you yeah this yeah, gets into something really interesting which is going to be how flexible is doc in terms of pairing these players because lou williams theoretically you could play him with beverly you could play him with bradley you could play him with shea no problem i mean you just have lou williams guard the worst guy you know like you can make that yeah. work I, and I, bradley, I wouldn't recommend playing him with tatos and Charles. no <laughs> I, I, maybe, I, maybe for, in bench units though maybe in bench units that yeah, actually could be going on the carlisle idea of you know just like having guys they can create and you can make it work yeah. but I, that, that would be a lot of fun and so avery bradley i've long felt is better guarding ones than twos just because he's so good on ball and point guards generally have the ball in their hands like i right. would love to see extended like that might end up being a part of the closing five is avery bradley and lou williams your best offensive player and i mean between pat bev and bradley it's going to be you know whoever's healthier at that moment in time for who your better defensive player defensive guard is but yeah, yeah. they could do some it, it fun is a little tough it is a little tough because you know i don't think they like having lou will bring the ball up and bradley just you know doesn't really have the handle to do that well but if they uh, but, they can have tobias harris or maybe gallo do some of that kind of stuff yeah i mean they, they can get by there I, i'm not saying that that wouldn't work it's just a, a, a drawback of it potentially all right well let's move to the front court now <laughs> uh at the three and the four which are more really similar to one another it is interesting how the nba has evolved where the three and the four are probably more similar to each other now than the four and the five are uh although there's still a lot of teams that run sets offensively where you have kind of two big men in, in a horn set uh but you know in terms of just the skill set pretty close here so they still don't have a pure three on the roster who can play on both ends despite having plenty of depth here so we've got gallo 
Tobias Harris, Mbah Mute, and Mike Scott. Clearly, Harris is going to play the most out of all those guys. He's going to start. You know, but Harris even still is a, probably a little better at the four, although he doesn't rebound at all. But he's uh, really a little bit more of a four, I think, in terms of his size. Certainly guarding, he's probably best at four. And Gallo, I mean, does that, that's probably going to be the starters if both are healthy, Gallo and Tobias Harris. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's where they're going to start. I, I pulled this stat because it was just insane. Here is not the full list, but an incomplete list of the players who logged more minutes for the Clippers than Danilo Gallinari last year who played 671 minutes. C.J. Williams... Uh, you're just going to read off the entire roster? No, no. C.J. Williams, Jawan Evans, Ty Wallace, and Sam Decker all played more minutes than Danilo Gallinari last year. Yeah, Ty Wallace is interesting too. I mean, he's still languishing out there with that qualifying offer and that his qualifying offer is only another two-way contract. We've been critical of... And they have two guys on two-way contracts right now because they have uh, a Delgado, I believe, and then they traded the two-way trade for motley yeah so i had to check in on what's happening with him recently i'm surprised that we haven't heard that that name but uh yeah and then they've got about mute and scott i mean who mike scott had one of the highest mid-range field goal percentages this decade last season uh and he can stretch it out to three as well though he does seem to kind of wax and wane more than most players on a year-to-year basis but he does provide kind of that bomber element i think another the more i think about this team in the front court i think we could see even some lineups that are ultra small you know maybe we could see luke at center we could see mike scott at center uh especially if there are just some matchups that don't quite work for a uh, march and gortat um so yeah i mean but if i had to put it in order i'd say if when healthy harris gallo and Mute scott would be the the order of, of guys but i could easily see Mute jumping gallo which is hilarious because Mute is making four million and gallo is making 20 but i think Mute provides an element that they need but a, a a lot of it depends too on whether Luke can bounce back, be as effective offensively as he was well, last year during the regular year in Houston. And also, Luke has played more for Doc Rivers than Gallo has, so he has that going for yeah. him as well. Certainly, in terms of number of minutes played. Um, what about its center? How do you see it shaking out between Gortad and Harrell? And they, they've got Boban as well, who uh sadly remains more of a curio as uh yeah. as kp would say yeah kind of a break glass which is unfortunate i, lo- I would love to see Bobon play regular rotation minutes but so i think gortat will get the lion's share of the minutes when he's healthy there's a very distinct chance that harrell is a better player but gortat you know is more established yeah, and, and, and he, he's more conventional to it just it's easier sure. and, and we can I, I agree with this to some extent that coaches are just kind of too conservative like oh we're gonna start our traditional center but th- there's a few reasons they do that number one is just because you have these guys who are still in a lot of cases getting contracts you know a lot of them are kind of veteran leader types who are being paid a lot and so you know just starting them just because they it kind of seems like they should start just in in terms of the team dynamics another one is just that you probably don't have enough big man depth to go with smaller more versatile players at center the entire game and so you have to get some minutes for your traditional center and there's almost a mutual non-aggression pack because the other coach is probably going to start his traditional center at the beginning as well and so you at least know that your traditional center has someone to match up against that way because it really for most of these guys you know Gortat being a perfect example if you go small and put shooting on the floor at that position there's just no way that he's going to be good enough offensively to make up for what he's going to be giving up defensively with the additional shooting uh and either having a guard out on the floor or just uh either giving up threes or letting guys go to the rim because he's too worried about giving up threes he doesn't have the mobility um 
So I, I like you, I would expect Gortat to start. They traded for him, uh, but I it wouldn't shock me if Harrell actually ends up playing more minutes if uh, Gortat ends up with the Keith Bogans in a lot of halves. Yeah, I could certainly see that being the case. And and also Harrell, depending on how they structure this team, he could be benefiting from playing on some bench lineups that are substantially better than other teams' bench lineups. So it would be like, Dan Doc can sometimes do that. Of, oh, look, we went on a run with these guys. Let's keep them in for a little while longer. And that would lead to Gortat getting those Keith Bogan situations as well. Do you see anyone as, uh, that really stand out as improvement or uh, regression candidates on this team? There are so many established commodities on the Clippers at, at various levels. I mean, I see Mike Scott as a potential regression guy just because last season was so much better than a lot of his prior stuff. And also because if yeah. he regresses, they have other guys to so- soak up those minutes. So he could just kind of fall by the wayside and he could could absolutely live up to what he did in Washington last year. But I could see that. Lou Will's got to be one, right? I mean, yeah, this I mean, is just, just, be just because of gravity. I mean, it feels it feels like that's just regression to the mean. I mean, he was so awesome a lot of last year. We saw one of his iconic games last year in person when he dropped 50 on the Warriors. And oh, yeah, that was that was one of the games of the year. Absolutely. And so those sorts of circumstances could could be there in terms of improvement. Well, here, let's talk about Lou Will a little bit more. Here. Sure. Career high, 32.8 minutes per game last season. Career high, 22.6 points per game last season. You know, that that was was four points higher than he'd ever scored in a season and you know, he'd had he'd never averaged 30 minutes a game before he'd, he'd been at 25 the previous season and you know i mean is he was coming off the bench most of the time so i mean a lot of these games he was getting the the miritich of you know just playing 18 straight minutes in each half you know, especially as they were trying to make their push for the playoffs so yeah he's i mean even just in terms of playing time like it's going to go down he's not going to start this year i'd be very surprised i mean with with how limited they were at times in the backcourt last year the fact that he only started 19 years they clearly don't want to start him so it seems very unlikely that he's going to start um he didn't shoot a ridiculous percentage from three but uh, the usage was extremely high for him as well uh not that much higher than the previous year 29.8 percent but then in terms of efficiency he also wasn't that much higher than the last years he actually was a little bit lower now the and the usage was a little bit different uh you know the year before that with the lakers when he was still playing with kobe bryant uh you know his usage went down but he certainly had plenty of years where he's been in the high 20s you know all the way up at uh 30 for a full season that's probably going to go down especially because they'll have again more offensive options and i I think though the bigger concern to me isn't even out of the role i think on a permanent basis you know what he did last year wasn't too crazy you know kp actually i think made that point but he was just playing so many more minutes and and being featured so much more but you have to imagine he's going to take a little bit of a step back this year because just he's going to be 32 you know i think that's the biggest reason to look at that i want to tell you about a new sponsor that i'm very proud to be working with everlane and there's two reasons why everlane is better first of all their clothes look better and they cost less and they last longer better quality at better prices 30 to 50 percent lower than traditional retailers and they also are a transparent ethical corporation they tell you their costs because they want you to know what you're paying for and why and that they're not marking it up they're transparent about everything their materials the ethical factories they work with they had a black friday sale where they gave the proceeds to upgrade the facilities at their factories for the workers and i really like their stuff too and the quality of some of their basics is really outstanding their cashmere crew is fantastic i like their denim a lot as well 
so there's no frills with everlane but there's a ton of quality right now you can check out my personalized collection at everlane.com slash cap space and get free shipping on your first order at everlane.com slash cap space once again everlane.com slash cap space let them know with that slash camp space url that you came from us and i will let you know that i'm from chicago by saying cap space accidentally that still shows up in my accent from time to time my accent from time to time everlane.com slash cap space well and the other reason is also just because they have a lot more options now necessity was the mother of invention for him a lot of last year and yeah you talked about the, the minutes i mean he went from playing more in the 25 28 range all the way up to almost 33 and this team doesn't have that need at the beginning of the year now maybe they get there but especially i think one of the underappreciated parts of this rotation is going to be shea because if his minutes are basically locked in then that's something that Lou williams can't pull even if he does really well and those guys will play together a fair amount i think that's actually going to be their starting second unit backcourt and could work out pretty damn well but Patrick Beverly being there Avery Bradley and just having so many other options I, I think that they'll just get back to where Doc would like Lou Williams to be and I think that could work out reasonably well for them and it, it'll be good for Lou even though it'll be less in the counting stats and all that but he already is under contract for next year anyway so it's not that big a deal for him and so, yeah, I think he'll regress more in that vein rather than in the vein of being less efficient, though he could probably take a step back too, because it's just ridiculous. I mean, popping a 20, a 20 PER on 30 usage at any age is ridiculous, but especially when you're 31. And he's pretty reliant on quickness too. Uh, so if that, if he loses that, I mean, he really is just, even when teams would try to direct the ball to one side or the other, when he was in pick and roll, I mean, he was able to just get to where he wanted to go on the floor, blow by guys, especially of course, going to his left. But I thought he was actually more effective than at any point in his career of also going right uh, more often last year and being effective taking advantage of being overplayed uh going to his left tobias harris shot 41 percent from three last year uh over both his pistons and clippers tenure so i could see that going down a little bit although he really has done a great job working on it, his game as a shooter but that's about it i you know i think most of these guys i mean they are really i think still going to be dependent on lou will for offense late in games and with his some of his defensive limitations it, you're always going to he's going to get attacked defensively late in games so late game situations for this team are always going to be a little hairy for that reason but i think you know when you look at between Teodosic, gallo beverly and bradley i mean all those guys despite being health risks are probably going to at least play more than they did last year right so i mean i think that's a reason to think that there's going to be some improvement here all right what's your crunch time lineup if you're doc rivers and and is there any difference between what you would do and what you think he'll do yes there is a difference and the difference is because i would go a little bit less conventional so at full so one of the one of the interesting questions here i think it would depend a little bit on personnel so i would have lou williams is definitely out there tobias harris is definitely out there so i'll start with those two guys as being centerpieces of it then i would say it'd be good to have beverly though you can make an argument and then so what i'm saying is then the fourth spot would be either avery bradley or Mute, depending on who the other team's biggest threat is so if it's a bigger dude and Bob Mute if it's a smaller dude you can use Avery Bradley and play a three guard lineup with those guys and then have Tobias at four and then the at center I, I just hot hand is basically the way to put it I, I'm also totally cool with going non-traditional playing Luke at, f- at the five something like that yeah. but I think the biggest difference between what I would do and what Doc would do is Gallinari I mean they paid Gallinari a bunch of money last year I think if he's healthy he's going to be a part of the closing five yeah and we just don't know what to expect from him I mean, he wasn't particularly effective but he played such a limited number of minutes I don't know how 
how much you can draw out of that he does provide some ability to get to the line which this team needs they don't really have that outside of lou williams tobias harris doesn't get to the line a lot yeah i think you could really experience it harrell certainly again you you're going more offense when you got harrell out there he's not that great defensively he's another one of these kenneth farid type of guys where it looks like he could be pretty good switching based on his body type but he's not really uh so yeah i think i would have you know between the three and the five harris is certainly going to be in there but then based on needs i think harrell and bamute galinari i would really rotate it based on the matchups there with probably the most often one being galinari luke and tobias harris closing as the three through five and then you would have a pretty switchable lineup hopefully at least among those these three your problem though is that you know you really can't execute a switching system one through five when you have lou williams out there he's just not going to be uh strong enough or intense enough to do that i mean he's one of the slightest players in the league you know if you have beverly if you have avery bradley out there maybe shea who although he's kind of a lightweight himself i don't think he's going to be closing games necessarily so it does become harder to switch so maybe it does make more sense to just have harrell out there uh, at least a little bit more of a traditional look at center but yeah it's it's a really tough call i mean but i think probably bradley and lou will would be my guys in the backcourt and then shifting between those four guys at the three through five um but yeah there could be a place for beverly we'll see you know he's coming off a surgery again where he's at in terms of his abilities big strengths for this team depth i mean they have so many different capable nba players i mean we've talked at other points in other years about how when you put non-nba guys in your lineup it can just be such a drag that can be on the second unit it can be sometimes those teams forcing starters in that aren't just just to fill a gap or something like that they have more guys than they can play and that could be a problem from chemistry standpoint it might not be but just the ability to just throw out and i would say throw out nba rotation caliber is not even just i mean boban is on the outside looking in partially because I think he's been marginalized too much but I mean also because they have some good options there and then same kind of thing at the three and the four I'd be like they don't even really have the minutes to give th- to like Jerome Robinson they could you know if they if they make that a priority but they have just so many quality guys to throw in there and they also have a lot of players that I could see benefiting from playing fewer minutes at higher intensity like you could see just a little bit like that could really help Avery Bradley in particular I mean maybe that'll lead to him taking too many shots per minute but other than that you know just like okay Avery you're only going to be out there for 26 minutes so just go full bore every single possession and he he, you know he plays hard anyway but I think that could help him same kind of thing with Montrez Harrell and Gortat like okay Gortat you're not going to be a 35 minute a game guy just play your best while you're out there and we have other guys to spell you yeah they do have a lot of different looks they can go to although all that said are any of these guys really two-way players like it's great to have depth but it's also and you can go with different looks and but other than maybe Avery bradley and you know he i you have questions about him on both ends he was extremely inefficient last year but you know was struggling with health but he's never really been a particularly efficient guy takes way too many long twos uh and especially with all the other weapons they have on this team that's not great and he is an intense defender on the perimeter but not really a good help defender you know maybe pat beverly is but you know he doesn't really do much off the dribble on an offense and he's coming off a surgery gallo harris those are one-way-ish guys harrell is, is kind of more of an offensive guy 
to. Lou Williams is about as offensively focused as it gets as a player. Thorndell is all or Thornwell is all defense. So I, I mean, I, we said strengths here, but you know, a weakness is just number of two-way players. I mean, I don't know that Luke is all all defense. So the you can mix and match in terms of okay, we have lineups that in theory are balanced between offensive and defensive players, but in terms of guys who just don't have weaknesses, they have very few of them. And that also will be a problem with the idea of them going small more often. Is just that there will be points to attack, and then you won't have help defenders. And they and the Clippers they don't. I, I mentioned this earlier, like they they don't really have a lot of guys that can clean up the messes of other of other players. They have good defenders, but not that kind of good defender, and that could be a big problem for them because they have all these other weak points, you know, especially Lou Williams. And so so they could really go into some challenging areas there. And like I, I could see this team, this makes inter- internal sense to me, being one that has kind of some of the nicer wins of the year of a team of their ilk, and then some of the worst losses where things just aren't flowing and they just they're just getting worked. And then other games where you know Lou Williams goes off or Tobias Harris has a really good game because they have they don't for a team that doesn't have elite talent they have a lot of good players and so I could see that that kind of crash and burn and then rise at certain points as well I'd be interested to see whether they're good at getting to the foul line this year they lost DeAndre Jordan but Gallo Lou Williams Harold those are pretty high free throw rate players they were fourth last year in free throws per field goal attempt I would expect that to go down some but not too much I still think they'll be in the top half of the league there uh I think another weakness we can look at with this team is defensive rebounding with DeAndre Jordan who is in theory a really good defensive rebounder they ranked 28th a year ago I don't think Gortat is really that great on the defensive boards anymore Harrell despite the fact that he's a high energy player and gets on the offensive glass really is a very poor defensive rebounder and he's not really a box out guy either so they're playing him at center Tobias Harris is a poor rebounder rebounder at forward gallo not really a great rebounder lou williams is a terrible rebounder bradley has had some decent rebounding seasons but uh when he really tried to focus on it in boston but he's not really a natural rebounder so i, I think the defensive glass is going to be another problem for them uh i don't really think they're going to be able to force any turnovers either you know bradley doesn't really get a lot of steals beverly's really their only steals guy on this team i don't know how much he's going to play so i uh, i see that as as being an issue i i you know i just the more i think about their defense i i get a little bit more pessimistic even if i i am a believer in their offense as long as lou williams can uh somewhat approximate what he did last year it will be a challenge for them and generally speaking bigs are more important than smalls defensively and their smalls are better than their bigs so that that can rear its head at at moments in time and i mean especially if they're going to be regularly playing centers their centers aren't exactly a defensive strength for them so yeah i'm a little bit concerned about that as well i also wonder how they're going to be as an offensive rebounding team especially if they're bringing in if they're playing more minutes with fours that can shoot you don't have to offensive rebound but i'm not i'm not necessarily trusting this team to get to bust their asses to get back and transition defense as well so maybe they're kind of they're not getting the best of both worlds there i could be wrong they were a good offensive rebounding team last year but i just see that being less of an emphasis now all right let's talk predictions here uh you the last one we recorded was new orleans i went first why don't you go first this time so my most likely scenario for them is a win total that's actually really unusual and that's 38 wins and to for me with that's in line with a team that's about you know a slightly below water negative one net rating something
something in that range. And the reason why that's an unusual win total is because most teams, especially in this year's West, that are in that range end up being a lot worse because they, you know, move towards the end of the year, they tank or whatever. But the Clippers' incentives are a little bit different. They want to look good for free agents. They want to be a part of that. So I can envision them sticking a little bit more closely with that throughout the season. So, I mean, usually if a team, if I had a team in that range, I would end up going a little bit lower on it just because that's how it works out. But I think they'll be there. So the 38 is my most likely. Negative 0.7 net rating for this team after the Tobias Harris Blake Griffin trade. That was over 32 games. And so that would be right in line with what you're talking about, 38 wins. So you're saying you, you think they'll play at about that same level. Worth noting that for like the last three games, they basically shut everyone down. They don't have DeAndre yeah. Jordan, but they have Luke. They have Mike Scott, and they're going to, in theory, have, Be- I mean, you're adding essentially Gallo, Bradley, Beverly to, uh, and maybe, and Taya Dosich played about half those games. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 22 of those 32 games. They also lost Austin Rivers, who we haven't mentioned, but, you know, I don't, I don't think that he was particularly positive for these guys. Uh, well, I think he's being replaced by superior players if yeah, yeah. At, at full strength. And not full strength, then, then he, he would be missed but yeah, yeah no, and, and i, I could, agree and, I and then ty wallace ty wallace they lost also he and he had uh, though we liked what he did he had the worst net rating on the team but part of that again was because he was starting a lot of those games and they just couldn't score because they didn't have lou williams on the floor so i think that's i, I don't think that hit that he was like a, that negative of a player for them i think it's just based on you know when he played a lot of his minutes well and like i could see the clippers being a slight positive i i you know i could see them being like you know maybe like a 44 43 win team something in that range at full strength. I just think things are going to bring them down. And then generally, team, like even though they have a lot of depth, th- I think there will be games where it just doesn't really, it doesn't necessarily work for them. Actually, before you do your prediction, you want me to give you a stat that I think could end up being, no, I'll save that for worst case scenario. I'll save it for later. Yeah, uh, well, I will say this. I think that this team has one of the smaller bands in the NBA, unless they just, you know, something happens where they just trade everyone because they just start off the season terribly. But I, I don't think that'll happen because I think, you know, they have a lot of good players a lot of established players but they just don't have the high-end talent or the two-way talent really to me to get above you know i i would say my best case and i know i'm saving this i'm going a little out of order here but my best case for them would probably be like 47 uh because i just don't think i think they just have a ceiling on their defense and you know maybe they could be like the fifth best offense and like you know the 17th best defense or something like that uh and the, and this is also because of the nature of their team where they have all these one-way guys it's kind of like the better their offense ends up being the worse you expect their defense to be and vice versa uh you know so it's it's hard to imagine them improving in both offense and defense um but they just don't have like the high-end star talent so you know i'm seeing their best case is kind of 47 wins maybe 48 but you know worst case they just have so much depth even if they get injuries it's really hard to see them much below 35 um so and that's even if they do suffer injuries so i'm uh i feel that they because of the depth but also because of the lack of star talent and the lack of big breakout candidates on this team as well because the rookies i think are too young to really you know be talking about them contributing to, to winning basketball this year well and there are too many guys so, in front of them yeah that that too right i mean there's really there's no one you look at it's like you know there are guys who are going to be better because of health but there's no 
and he's like oh man like this guy you know aaron gordon or something is a guy who like oh this could be the season he really breaks out you know there isn't anyone like that on this team so uh, ultimately i think i'm gonna i'm a little higher on them than you are i'm gonna pick them for exactly 41 and 41 uh you know what no i'm gonna pick them for 42 ones uh, to be uh exactly where they were last year and uh you know i, I think they're overall are reasons to think that they should be right about that level maybe even slightly better um why can you articulate a little more why you think they would be worse than last year i'm worried about their defense I'm really worried yeah. about their, their yeah. defense and and the offense. I think they can figure it out, but it's a weird circumstance where I think their bench offense will be better than their starters. And so there could be moments where they flail. And also last year they played above expectations in close games. I could see that falling back, especially if they have to figure out who those guys are or if they're kind of obligations to play certain guys and they get outplayed. That could be an issue as well. Gallinari being one of those just because Gallo is a good offensive player, but they don't really need what he's bringing if lose closing games. So some of that stuff could be a little bit of a challenge so then the other the other thing that i want to talk about and this gets into the worst case so my best case is 46 so we're in line there we, i don't really need to talk about it too much the idea there's top 10 offense league average defense i think is kind of like the rosier scenario i agree with you it's probably more likely like six or five and 17 or so but still that's the general rubric a team like that often wins about 46 games so this is the thing i was going to mention before i generally don't look at schedules until we do this because i it, I, I try not to think about it early on 13 of the clippers first 14 games are against teams that i expect to be in the playoff mix this coming year. And a lot of those games are at home, but that is a lot to take on early in the year. You know, they play Houston twice, they play OKC twice, and the Pels, I think, twice. And so if if they start to struggle early, then maybe you get into those circumstances and they start to see, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, if they're if they're more competitive. And so my worst case is 32 for them. So that's a little bit better than like Dallas and Brooklyn did last year. I don't think I think they'll be better than those teams. It would just be bad luck and bad games kind of and close games kind of like what dallas did but if they just kind of start out slow not because they're bad but just because it gets into that circumstance they just kind of sit there and the front office goes well what are we really doing here because i expect the west to be really you know the the playoff teams to be really strong next year and that they could get back into the mix for sure but if it if it's pushing towards like 47 48 wins if they start out below 500 for the first 20 games it could be hard to get back yeah that is a a concern and it did seem like there was something about them that they're doing with smoke and mirrors last year a lot of that though was because of the injuries right i mean i think we at the start of the year we had them around 43 wins but yeah and, and doc we should, we should mention yeah. doc did a great coaching job of this team last yeah. year yeah yeah and his powers of persuasion are going to be needed because there's a lot of guys in the last years of their contracts i mean there, there's a lot of established veterans not all of these guys are going to be able to play see if uh, you know maybe a trade could be made but i don't ex- i expect that trade to be you know something along the lines of like you know tay dosage for a second round pick or something i don't expect it to be you know uh, beverly for a second round pick i don't expect it to be something that's really going to improve the team a ton this year because they have absolutely zero willingness to take on salary beyond this season all right well thanks for listening and uh don't forget to subscribe to the athletic of course at theathletic.com slash catspace danny writes for them i've written for them really uh, have awesome stuff there and once again we don't know exactly what order this is going to be in so we will say goodbye and thank you for listening and maybe you'll get to hear our voices again in about two seconds or in about three days <laughs> one of the two talk to y'all again soon friends football is back the nba schedule is out SeatGeek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long 
two reasons they search multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value so they're saving you time and money with both steps you don't have to worry about oh i have to go to all these different sites actually when i was looking for tickets for sumo wrestling in japan which SeatGeek sadly has not expanded there yet i was just like oh man this is exactly what i used to hate about buying tickets like why can't SeatGeek be there yet because i just had no idea it took me like a half hour figuring out like whether i was going to get ripped off on these tickets or not whereas SeatGeek just gives you peace of mind on that and they have plenty of tickets too to concerts comedy theater etc and it's going to take you 90 seconds to find a good deal on tickets my listeners if you have not used SeatGeek yet you can get 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase you download the SeatGeek app enter promo code capspace today that's promo code capspace easy to remember we talk about capspace all the time on the program they'll get you 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase SeatGeek life's an event we have the tickets and let them know with that capspace code still like the codes just a little bit better than the url SeatGeek's the original they are the first retailer to ever have the capspace code let them know at that code you came from us time to talk a little washington wizards with mike prada who has long been liberated from the chore of writing about and following this team on a daily basis but still uh <laughs> still actually uh is made miserable uh, by the washington wizards so i i consider him quite qualified to be an expert <laughs> uh how, how are you feeling about the squad this year man oh boy <laughs> This is going to be an interesting season. Um, I, I don't, you know, like the stage you get into where you, you're in the middle of the summer and you're reading Dwight Howard's working out and working on rim runs and stage of sort of, that's where I'm at. I feel like I'm going to, I'm in the denial stage right now and I'm hoping that I never have to get out of the denial stage because <laughs> they might be pretty good, but I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy their process of getting to be pretty good. Yeah, I think this team, uh, and now having added Howard, I mean, it's almost like a, a caricature in terms of just keeping the same group together, having some drama, finishing between 40 and 49 wins. I can't believe they actually got to 49 wins two years ago, though. I think they're a little happy to get there. Yeah, you said that that year. I remember you were like, you you said they've got a little, they're healthy, the, their health luck's going to run out, and I, I was still drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, and I think you ended up right on that one. Uh, yeah, on last year's pod, you I mean, yeah, yeah it was, that was last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, and that was, uh, you know, but this still is a team that has talent, and they still generally, I mean, you know, the one thing you can take comfort with is even when they get into the playoffs, like they're not an easy out. You know, they at least they haven't gone out in less than six games during this run. Would you do you uh, like are you less excited for like this season or one of the ones where it was like, you know, John Wall was just in his first or second year or something like that. And you wanted to see how he was going to grow and that sort of thing. Like, or, or are you is it just a case of like, OK, it's the same team, but I'm still happy that, you know, this is almost certainly a playoff team. I think I am less excited about this season. I mean, it's tough to say because there were some – it wasn't just like that they had young talent. They were just sort of a joke for a couple of years. And there were, there were a couple of years in that John Wall era where it was like very – at the very beginning where it was kind of like – not only is this team bad, but like I'm not going to really enjoy it. I have to talk myself into like Andre Blatch and JaVel McGee. This year, but still, like this year, it's sort of like we kind of know what they are. And th this is the stage of team building where you sort of like throw your hands up in the air and you're pot committed and you just try something 
hoping that the mix will work out. And that's always kind of a really depressing place to be as a franchise, as a fan base. You know, so I, I think that expectation wise, especially when you think of how the rest of the East is kind of leveled up with Boston and Toronto getting Kawhi Leonard and Philly getting better. And now Milwaukee having a real coach and Indiana kind of taking over as that fun team that exceeded expectations. I think that this year has been a little bit more existential dread than usual. That's definitely the case. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, an interesting way to look at it. And you mentioned the the whole idea of going with, uh, you know, rolling the dice with the personnel moves. And uh, those dice came up Dwight Howard this year. Um, so, you know, obviously you can joke about that. People are not very complimentary of him as a teammate after he leaves, although they are getting rid of someone who John Wall was not particularly complimentary of as a teammate in Marcin Gortat to bring in Howard. And they got Austin Rivers in the exchange as well. So uh, how is Howard going to fit into this squad this year? Well, it's interesting because the rep of Dwight Howard, I mean, at the end of the day, he had a pretty good year last year. I know... Uh, all things yeah, considered, he had a better preview last year. Yeah, <laughs> look, let me have let me have this moment. Yeah, no, no, uh, I, I'm actually. I mean, I think it's. I didn't care for the second year on the contract that they gave no. him, and I didn't really care for subsidizing the Brooklyn Nets five million dollars with his salary. Uh, but you know, I mean, I think of anyone they realistically could have added with their financial constraints. I think he's the best on the market, probably. Yeah, it, that's exactly it, though. It's the Dwight Howard. It's not that you have Dwight Howard. It's that you've put yourself in your in a position where you have to talk yourself into Dwight Howard. You know, you spent all these years. I feel like this is a constant trope we've talked about, but they've never been able to develop a good young big man to grow with this core. So their strategy was to like see how long marching Gortek goes until he pisses off John Wall and he ages and that point hit and God, they need a center. Otherwise, Jan Mahimi is their starter. And that's these are the sorts of things that get you to the position where you have to roll the dice with the Dwight Howard. And it's not that bad of a dice roll because, yeah, it's it's the second year. I don't think makes a ton of sense. It's also hard to gauge exactly what Howard's market was. I know the Warriors basically said no to the slot that DeMarcus Cousins would have had, which I think is right. sort of some volumes. I'm not sure what else was really out there. It's always hard when you play this game and you kind of don't really know and you're playing with incomplete information. But you can talk the fact that you can actually make an argument that that's made a lot of sense sort of kind of gets to the root of the problem, because it is true that he had a decent year. If he plays 25 minutes a game and they play small to end the game, like there are worse people to suck up those minutes. You know, if you assume that he's a part time player and you strip away the fact that he's Dwight Howard part time player. Yeah. And there are elements that he can help you with. I mean, surely he's going to be better on defense than marching Gortat, even though I think we can all agree his defensive strength is passing by Dwight Howard. But it's like we got to talk ourselves into this. You know, if, if you could take away like literally all the contextual elements and you just said, you know what? We added a guy who averaged 17 and 12 last year. He played decent minutes. He looked he was definitely a lot better individually than the year before. You know, we get this person, this new NBA where we have a lot of wing players and we're going to probably want to go small anyway, or you would think. And you can stick this person and soak up minutes. It totally makes sense. And that it's just that that person is Dwight Howard. Yeah, no, it's and we'll see. Obviously, it could be a volatile mix. You know, John Wall, Brad Beal, guys like Kelly Oubre, Mark 
Keith Morris, you know, not the easiest group. Uh, you know, it, there are always cryptic comments in the media one way or another about, you know, the team kind of re- retreating or, oh, we moved the ball so much better without uh, John out there, which I, I thought was kind of ridiculous. Uh, so it bore out with the way they fell off of, off the map, you know, at the end of the season. Yeah, so I and and you know of course Wall wasn't healthy. He came back very late in the season last year. Didn't seem to be quite himself uh, as the playoffs rolled around. Um, but yeah, I mean I think Howard can still, if he's in place, protect the room. I mean that's actually an element that the team really didn't have. You know, Mahimi to a slight extent perhaps, but he was just seems so calcified that he, he's not really able to do much anymore. And I think he could be a target uh, for Aliyub to for John Wall. And also, I mean, he, he wasn't incredibly efficient last year with uh 58 true shooting just you know based on where he's shooting his shots uh but he was 24 percent usage and i expect that to go back down to where it was the two years before that maybe a little bit below 20 and and he can uh you know, try to finish it around the rim and he's not the skywalker he used to be but he's still a decent alley-oop threat and that's something that you know john wall is an excellent alley-oop passer that can certainly uh be a part of uh howard's game this year and you do read about how he's training on yeah he had that ridiculous quote that was from his trainer about how he wants to be his own version of anthony davis and kevin durant which even if you accept the face value i'm just not quite sure what that means yeah you know um but then in that story that uh i think candace buckner wrote you see that he is working on stuff like rim runs and being in better shape so that he has more energy and yeah i mean that, know, that, and that was move. a big problem for him i mean he has this like ripped body but back when he was in orlando i think uh his personal website called him like he has the body of a greek god it was, it was one thing that was on his, <laughs> his personal website back then but you know i mean he's a pretty jack guy but yeah in terms of cardio you know whether it's getting out on the floor defensively running the floor offensively you know he has not been that player in some time now yeah i mean all this talk about like is he willing to do these sorts of rim running and do the sorts of things that are required to centers you know some of it is mental mindset but i think a lot of it is also physical and i don't think he was in the best shape so best case scenario if he's in better shape and it sounds like he's massively improved his diet uh he's no longer eating whatever candy he wants what was the orlando magic quote that that we gave him all his favorite candies like he's not doing that anymore he seems to have slimmed down if you marry if he's in better shape it might mean he'd be more willing to roll hard and to run the floor and to get those duckins and if he does that that would make him a more effective player the question of course is whether that's actually the case it's pretty unprecedented for a 32 year old to dramatically change his game but that's the hope is that maybe if he's in better shape and he has had sort of the snot kicked out of him with the way he's been traded from multiple places maybe now with the fact that he's got incentive to play on a lesser contract maybe now he's more willing to do the things that could make him valuable rather than the things that don't but i totally understand why people are skeptical that that will happen yeah, and I think the other thing about him, too, is just between his knees and his back, he has played over 70 games uh, the last three years. Um, but I, I think a lot of it, too, is just how he happens to be feeling that day, you know, with his back and his knees. Uh, he can he can be pretty stiff out there or you know he can be feeling good and be able to get up for those alley-oops and and i mean i think the biggest drawback with him but i mean this is you know gortat was in the same boat here is you just can't ever leave the paint you know the last two years since he got to atlanta he really i mean he used to just be unbelievable moving his feet out in the perimeter back in his orlando days and and that player it doesn't exist anymore um did they add anyone else who who, uh, 
uh, yeah, Jeff Green. Ron, Jeff, Jeff Green. Green. Yeah, Jeff Green is a pretty good signing for the minimum. Get him back to the DMV. Yeah, I mean, he had a really good year last year. All they for all things considered, the problem is he's no longer going to have LeBron James passing him the ball. But I mean, the other challenge too is that the other guy he's basically replacing Mike Scott's role in the rotation. And all things considered, Mike Scott had about as good a year as they could have possibly hoped. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if Jeff Green's going to replace that. I, I guess the I, hope on is Scott, real quickly, play. I think he had like the second highest mid-range shooting percentage of the last 10 years last year yeah was like incredible shooting percent or something like that it's ridiculous shooting year i mean he, he was it felt like he made every bucket you know there was sort of mass the fact that he wasn't very good else otherwise but if you're making shots that's great i think it's going to be asking a lot for jeff green to replace that offensive level of productions especially because i mean he wasn't a good three-point shooter last year anyway uh so but it was for the price i think you couldn't really have gotten anyone better and and then they have Austin Rivers, and you know he's the kind of player that you look, you look, and you see, and it seems like he's carved out a niche for himself. He's sort of this combo guard, guard plays tough defense, always worse when he's on the floor. And they kind of found something in Thomas Sadoransky last year, and they continue to, for whatever reason, not realize what they have. I don't think. And now you're bringing a guy that could take a lot of his minutes. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. Do you think they're going to play Rivers as the backup one? Then it seems like the because. I, I, to me, it seems like Sadoransky has a clear role as the backup one, but is that not how you're seeing it? You would think. I mean, I guess you could play them both together, um, and there there is room for that. And it is also true that Jody Meeks was a massive disappointment, and he's also suspended for 25 games. So there, there are minutes for both of them. I think it's less of position and more of role. You know, if Austin Rivers is in the game, whether he's the one or the two, he's going to be have the ball in his hands a lot, and that means less time with Sadoransky with the ball in his hands and I, I mean, maybe there's room for both of them, but it, it seems to me like if you saw what Sadoransky did last year, you would think that you'd try to clear more of a path for him, but for whatever reason, they haven't. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have made that trade for Rivers, and there are ways that Rivers can help them. I just clearly it's another person in the way of giving Sadoransky a little more burn. They do. I mean, this is, I think, the best depth they've had in this run, though. Uh, I mean, they don't have much at backup center. You know, Mahinmi is probably inadequate there. He can give you a few minutes in the right matchup. But, you know, I think with having Green now, maybe Markeith Morris can play some backup center as well. Jason Smith probably not going to play at all. He didn't play at all last year. But with Kelly Oubre, Green, uh, Morris, uh, Rivers, you know, I think, and Rivers, I think, could even play some three for these guys. Um, You know, he, he, did that in LA and he's undersized there but you know when you're not going against a, a dynamic three on the other team you know I think you can get away with him at that point so you know maybe then you can move Porter to the four so I'm uh I do like that Scott Brooks is going to have a few more pieces to mix and match here than in the past you know I, I do think if you had to say hey are these guys going to get better or worse this year you'd probably think they're going to be better than they were a year ago I mean, do you feel that way I think, well, if, as far as whether the team's going to be better as a whole, it all comes back to Walla Morris. But I do agree that if they do have more like sort of quick perimeter depth, like if they were to really commit to playing more small, which I think they really should do, and I'm not quite sure why they, I think maybe because Scott was such a big bucket getter for them last year. And they didn't really have the front court. They didn't really have as many pieces in the back court. But like they do have the bodies to be able to play a lot of Porter at the four this year. And I think that's where he's most effective. I mean, whether it's Rivers or Sadoransky or 
Ubre or whoever. I mean, they they have weight. A lot of guys who can play the three. The other big key to that, I think, too, though, is I think Ubre had a really good till he was about up until about February, and then he couldn't hit a shot. And if he can't yeah. hit a shot, and Sat Saturansky is a very good percentage three point shooter, but he definitely has a slow release. So I think teams still leave him. And Rivers shot thirty eight percent last year, but I'm not totally sold yeah. that it, he's a guy that that's super it, sustainable. He's got he's got thirty three percent written all over him. Yeah, yeah. And Green is a better I guess Green is a better rep as a shooter, yeah. but he really he's, is not a good shooter. He's got thirty one percent written all over him. <laughs> yeah, which is what he was last year, right? He was around like thirty two percent. So in in theory it does look like they should have more quickness they should be able to play faster and they should be able to play more athletically but i don't know if they have it all comes down to can they make enough shots because if they can't make enough shots it sort of neutralizes the ability to play small i mean they may be better defensively but that was the reason that mike scott got so many minutes is that they needed a bucket getter and they don't really have someone who can do that consistently i guess we'll see yeah, and I think I think that's all true, but probably where we need to talk more. Uh, well, first we need to do a quick break, and then we can talk more about the core of this team. Do 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 do. <laughs> so I've been lucky enough that I've never needed contact lenses. My wife, yes, wife. This is running after my wedding. Has not been so lucky. She needs contacts, and so uh, I put her in touch with Simple Contacts, and she's like, "Oh, I have to take this this vision test. Like, what is the point of this?" I'm like, "Well, because after five minutes, you don't have to renew your prescription. You take their vision test online. It gets reviewed by a doctor. You receive your renewed prescription to reorder your contacts. So you don't have to go to the the doctor's office. You don't have to sit in the waiting room. You don't have to waste two hours. You don't have to leave work in the middle of the day. And Simple Contacts is all the brands and the type of lenses you're familiar with so you never have to shop around to find your lenses at the best price that vision test is only 20 bucks way less expensive than you'll find at a doctor's office of course this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam you'll still need those occasionally and this is the most convenient way though to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed once again, the way to get started with them is simplecontacts.com slash dunk20, D-U-N-C-20. They changed the code up uh, this time, so make sure you note that slash dunk20 is the URL. That'll get you 20 bucks off your first order of contacts. That's simplecontacts.com slash dunk20, D-U-N-C-20, or you can enter the code dunk20 at checkout for $20 off your first order. Let them know that dunk20 code that you came from us. All right, cool. so John Wall, what was his season like last year? You know, he had it went under the knife again with that knee. Is it, I mean, because you're kind of, all right, he's going to be healthier because he had the surgery in theory, but he's also getting up there a little bit in age. He seems to have lost some athleticism. What are you expecting from him this season? Well, that was a bizarre season for John Wall last year. Um I think he showed up. I don't think I think for him, a lot of it is also like what kind of shape he's in. And he's it's hard to really gauge that until you see him uh, in training camp to the naked eye. I don't think he was in as good a shape as he was the year before coming into the season. And that, I think, has a way of exacerbating some of these sort of chronic issues. Um, again, that's sort of just me looking uh, from afar. And so it really will depend on how he comes in, because last year, I think he came in, he was a little he wasn't quite at his the way at sort of the conditioning they need to be. And that sort of he then gets hurt. He, he when he was playing, he was clearly playing hurt. I mean, you remember that stat that circled around about how he moved the, the least of anyone in the entire league by a long margin when he didn't have the ball. Yeah. And that just has and that just has a way of dispiriting and killing the flow of everything. And it's never been his strength. 
But you could tell by the end that as much as he was trying to push through those issues and, you know, we're talking like January, it was just such a drain on the team. And that's why I think they had that quick burst of strong play that eventually faded as the league figured them out. So and then we're not even getting into, obviously, all the stuff that happened with Gortat and all the sort of the, are they really better without me and all the some of the defensiveness and the sniping that happened there. But I think it was sort of a loss, kind of was a lost season as soon as he wasn't quite in the same amount shape. So I guess we'll see what he, what kind of conditioning he comes in with because I don't know if that body can take another knee injury, like you said. But if he's in if he's in shape, I mean, you saw glimpses at the end of the season of just one how much they actually need him. Like clearly, the they're better without Wall thing sort of faded as soon as people realized yeah. that they didn't have anyone to get in the lane. That, that was you ridiculous. Know. Yeah, I think it was one of those things where, yeah, he's such a huge part of the team that for a short amount of time, of course, when they play so differently, people aren't quite sure what to do. But then the league is smart. They figure that stuff out. And then you realize that nobody can get to the basket, and that makes it hard to run a good offense. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think it, a lot of it will just depend on what kind of shape he's in. Because if he's if he comes in the way he came in in 2017, in 2015, he's because he's kind of alternated like, good years and sort of so-so years, they're going to be a really good team. And if he doesn't, and if he's hurt again, then they're not going to be as good. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and you mentioned the physicality with him. The the two things there, I mean, number one, he used to be very good defensively, but really probably since 13, 14, maybe 14, 15, I think he's really fallen off there. He doesn't get over screens. He's going to need to do that because Dwight Howard Howard is going to be back there in the lane. I mean, maybe they'll do some more switching with some of this additional versatility they have when Howard is out of the game if they make Markeith the backup center. But so so that's one. He's got to give more effort defensively. And then number two is the transition. I mean, he is a devastating transition player. And we saw the bellwether for them in that Toronto series was, do they get points in transition? Well, then they were competitive. When they didn't get points in transition, you know, they couldn't keep up with Toronto. And so he's got to be able to push the ball. And I mean, and it's great that he has this high speed, but if you can't get to high speed often enough because you're tired, that becomes more difficult. And so obviously, you know, towards the end of the year, he's coming off of that surgery, which makes it difficult as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, they were a solid team in transition with him on the floor last year, but they weren't like elite. They weren't at the absolute top of the league in terms of their percentage of transition possessions. And so I think that that's really, to me, is the biggest place that these guys can improve is to get back to really, especially in the regular season, running it right down teams' throats. Because that's the thing that a lot of, is probably the most difficult to stop for these guys. Porter's great at running the floor. They've got Porter and Bilo can pull up from three in transition. Wall can get to the rim. Uh, so that's really the biggest thing that's number one on the scouting report uh, for opponents against these guys. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. And they were really good at that in the past. Um, and it is all connected. I mean, you talk about his defense falling off. I, you know, when he's not playing at his best, he's kind of, to me, I call it kind of like a sugar high player. He has these bursts of energy, but then you always have these bouts of lethargy, whether it's not getting over the screen or standing around the half-court offense, which is sort of something he always does. And then he'll maybe turn it on for a couple possessions or a couple spots. It's like he's trying to flip an on-off switch. 
and that's just to me that that sort of explains a lot of why this team is so inconsistent. I mean, if your best player is kind of not always going hard the way he's sort of instead of going at the same level all the time, he's going either really high or really low. That's that's going to make you an inconsistent team. So hopefully if he's in better shape, I think he has more capability of playing nice, much more even Steven and being able to push the ball more and also play better defense and also maybe, you know, not stand like his shoes are glued to the ground when Bradley Beal has the ball. You know, that's going to be really important. You yeah, know? He, he's he's not that good of an off-ball player. I mean, with his skill set. But yeah, I mean, that's when he's just I mean, he, not only sometimes does he not like, you know, he's not that great spot up shooter, but he'll like stand like like four steps away from half court when he doesn't have the ball. Yeah. Just like you really don't have to guard him when he's doing that. Right. I mean, we get that he's not. And I think he has worked on his catch and shoot game. And I think there there's some evidence that that has improved just in terms of he's shooting better on those shots. But if he doesn't move, I mean, it's really hard to run a good offense these days, If especially with the way the teams can now shut down the first pick and roll option if you're not constantly keeping them moving, if you don't have player movement. And on a separate note, I think that's why Otto Porter is such an important player to this team because he's the one guy that actually, whether he gets the ball or not, like he actually keeps keeps in motion. And Wall and Beal in particular are kind of dribble pounders that are not as good at that. I think Beal off scripted movement is much better at that, but not the unscripted movement. And that's what really kills him so much in some of these half court situations in tight games is if nobody is moving around off the ball and one dude is pounding the ball. Yeah, we blame the dude that's pounding the ball, but really it's just there's no flow to the offense. And that's the kind of thing that Wall in particular, I think needs to set a better example of. And maybe he will if he's in better shape. I think last year, I'm hoping as a fan, was a bit of a wake-up call that he can't just kind of only turn it on when he's able to. He has to sort of be playing at the same level all the time. Beal and Porter, still relatively young. Beal was an all-star last year, but statistically took a step back, went from 60% to 56% true shooting. I think part of that was just due to Wall being out and having to create more himself. His usage only went up by 1% overall, though, but turnover rate was higher. Actually took a fewer fewer three-pointers uh, per 36 mm-hmm. minutes. He went down by one last year versus the first year with Scott Brooks, where he was lauded for getting Beal to shoot more threes than they had under Randy Whitman. But, you know, it's harder to take threes when you're the guy who has to create with the ball in your hand. So I, I think part of it just was the role, the step back there. But he, he and Porter, both. it seems like they kind of have been what they've been for a while despite you know both just being uh, i think 25 this season do you think they're just going to kind of be around the same level of performance or is there room for them to take a, a step forward I think there there's room. I mean, we talked about this last year. I remember we had a similar discussion. Um, and one of the things that I remember us saying was that they may be better players while shooting lower percentages because they had such high marks, particularly from mid-range. I think that sort of happened to Beal a little bit. You know, I think he was a better all-around player but didn't have as good stats because of shot selection and just more shots didn't go down. Porter, I think, had really a great year when you consider his offensive production. And frankly, the the fact that the team does still, I think, sort of looks at him as this three and D player when he really is not that. You know, I don't think he's really got the D down on a one on one level. He's such a great help defender and he's much more skilled than I think the team even gives itself credit for. So the path, I think, to getting them both better would be to tilt, I think, some more of the offense porter's way. And I'm not sure exactly how you do that. Maybe it's more of those elbow pick and rolls. Maybe if he's playing the four more, he's going to be able to 
attack closeouts in space a little easier. But considering how efficient he is and how much he impacts their 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 game on both ways, I think they need to get him more involved in different ways and have less time of sort of let's run the screen and let's let's have Beal like kind of kick to the baseline and step into a 17 footer, which I thought we had exercised for the previous year, but sort of came back. Uh, so that's, I think, the way they get better. And I, I do think it will be marginal improvements. You know, they are the players they are. But if you are able to put them in slightly better positions to succeed, I think they can produce a little bit more than they did last year. Yeah, and then uh, on the wing you have Ubre. I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time talking about him because uh, really it seemed like uh, it's just a question of whether he makes shots in large part. Yeah. You know, I think he's taken strides defensively. He's a little better to me guarding out on the floor, guarding the other team's ones and twos. He's still a little bit slight despite that big 7-2 wingspan uh, to take on. And this is that's been a, just a big struggle for this team is finding the guys who can guard someone with a little more heft. I mean, they even struggled to guard to Mar DeRozan last year, for example, uh, you know, and they mm-hmm. haven't—they've actually been lucky to not have to go up against you know LeBron James uh, all these years uh, in the playoffs. So really, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they've actually had to match up with you know a big small four. They didn't have to. They haven't had to play like Giannis or something like that. So um, yeah. Uh, I think you're right. But they yeah. want Cleveland. Cleveland ducked them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, let's move on. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you, Troy Brown, is he going to play it all this year? Or I would is it guess probably not. Ca- Capital uh, City go-go for him? Yeah, pr- I would think so, just because there's so many guards. But I kind of liked what I saw in Summer League. I don't know. I didn't get a chance to listen to your, um, to your Summer League review podcast. I don't know what you thought of him. Yeah, I thought he had he did more with the ball in his hands uh, than expected, perhaps. And it, I mean, it seems like you know I don't know that he has the upside to be that big stopper on the wing, but he seems like someone who could be maybe in somewhat similar fashion to Porter, just a, a guy who's solid in a lot of areas on the wing, and you mm-hmm. know, just having a guy who can be okay and not kill you on the wing, it could be a valuable player. But you know, I mean, he's he's got a long way to go with the jump shot, and so it's gonna yeah. be tough for him to have value in the first year if he's not going to hit shots and you know has some of the usual rookie foibles defensively yeah i'm guessing he's not going to play much because again i mean look how many guards look guys they have like him they traded for one they have another one that they already don't play enough you know where is he going to fit in so we mentioned transition uh as a strength of this team anything else that that pops out to you as something that they're going to be good at this year (laughs) i mean it all depends, I think, a lot on Howard. But, like, in theory, if they can be a better shooting team, I mean, this is a team that is athletic. You know, even in a half-court situation, if they're able to make more shots and get a little more movement, I mean, they, they could be really tough to guard when they're small. And Howard will definitely improve their rebounding ability. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the things that's tied into their transition play is the fact that they have always have often been a good rebounding team, and I think they can be that again. Um you know, it, so all of that I think is tied in. I just think a lot of it will depend on whether they can get enough shot making. Uh, but theoretically, I mean, other than, you know, some of the best, best teams in the league, they can actually roll out a lineup that has playmakers at multiple positions, that has athletes at multiple positions, that has, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a modern look. It's just can they make enough shots? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think a strength is just going to be their depth uh, on the wing. You know, I mean, they have guys who are established, uh, who are able to play, which they haven't had as much uh, on the wing, who have some versatility, can do some things with the ball in their hands uh, as well. Uh, so I do like that. I do struggle to come up with any other yeah. strengths for this team. Um, you know, maybe you could say, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, did you see the 538 article that had them as the most average team in the NBA? Uh <laughs> last year that is perfect because i didn't want to say this at the beginning but uh because of the lack of turnover uh this team was probably the team that i was least interested to watch last year especially once wall went down because i I don't blame you man last year was a terrible last year was awful experience to watch because not only were they average but they won the games they weren't supposed to win and they lost the games they were supposed to win mattingly bad did average you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah and just there's there's just not much intellectual intrigue with these guys especially because you know wall beal and and porter have been around for a while and they seem to be kind of the same guys that they've been really the Mm -hmm. last three years with you know maybe some incremental improvements um uh, how about weaknesses what what pops out to you there well their half court offense i think especially in late game situations was awful (laughs) awful last year and it's funny and this says a lot i think about the nebulous nature of clutch stats if i recall the year before they were actually quite good yeah and last year they were beyond terrible i i don't know exactly where they rank but i mean i the memory of all the well, games they, they, blew actually, late. they actually didn't have any worse record than their point differential right at 43 wins right. expected one loss um but yeah, I mean, they, they do struggle to score late in games. And I think the, the biggest issue is, uh, especially if the other team goes small, they are very switchable. I mean, they re- yes. John Wall just yeah. does not have, you know, it, it always devolves into Wall, maybe Beal going one-on-one for a mid-ranger. And it's just that the, Wall doesn't, he's fast, but he doesn't quite have enough moves uh, to get in the lane and really attack because you don't have to respect his jumper in switch situations. And Beal, you know, doesn't have the elite athleticism and so if there's a, a team that can avoid putting them in a horrible mismatch i mean even even other teams four men seem like they're able to do okay against uh john wall if they're switching that wall pick and roll wall is is a pick and roll artist but if you take that conventional pick and roll defense away and those rotations away for him to carve up and he just has to go one-on-one it, it becomes very difficult for him yeah, I mean, it's telling that Toronto put Siakam on him for so much of that series. You yeah. know, whether it was successful or not, uh, I think he did a decent enough job. The fact that they're even willing to do that says a lot. I mean, it's a microcosm, I think, of the larger problem they have, which is that they don't generate enough movement. They don't generate enough flow and unless they're running. And so their half-court offense is pretty vanilla. And they got figured out even after Wall left and – you know, it circles back to a lot of the same problems, which is Wall is a maestro with the ball in his hands. But if he has a ball in his hands all the time, then you're not teasing out Beal and Porter or even Morris. It's it's a very one-sided offense. But then when Wall doesn't have the ball, he's not moving enough and he's not much of, enough of an off-ball threat. So the overall efficacy of the offense falls apart, even though you're getting more people involved. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. They've got to figure out ways. And then you added, of course, Scott Brooks. So this is not exactly his forte uh, as a head coach, uh, late game offensive movement. So it's a microcosm of like the larger problem they have with their offense, you know, and when it gets down to crunch time, it really comes down to whether you, I mean, this sounds cliche, but you have to execute, you have to really move, you have to make the defense think when the defense knows exactly what you're doing and you don't have that great one-on-one player and it becomes a real problem. 
I think their other weakness is going to be pick and roll defense. You know, if unless Wall can get back to where he was mm-hmm. three years ago, which seems unlikely. You know, players generally don't do that defensively and then you know Dwight Howard is pretty statuesque at this point uh if Mahimi is out there it's a trouble to uh you know defending against stretch bigs if you know or pick and pop bigs when they're in their base lineups I could see that being an issue too though the hope would be then you're just going to go with Markeith at center against those groups but yeah I mean it's interesting the one thing you mentioned that they're like the most average team uh, per cleaning the glass in each of the four factors on offense and defense and also uh you know they're 14th in offense 15th in defense a year ago each of the mm-hmm. four factors they were between 9th and 18th uh, on both <laughs> offense and defense except for fouling which they, they fouled a ton uh 21 opponent free throw rate a, a year ago that's really uh, but that's kind of that's a little disappointing because it's like okay you can't be like all right if there's just this one thing we could clean up we could be a lot better on the right. team and, and it's kind of the same way with the personnel right they don't really have any huge weaknesses any longer in terms of personnel but that also makes it much harder to upgrade uh, as yeah. well yeah i mean it, it's it's such a curse to in a lot of ways they're they're an average team that but it, they're not an average team like they play to their capability they are a yo-yo team that averages out to totally average so it's like the worst of both worlds because <laughs> i mean you you know their their record against good teams versus bad teams is like the stuff of legend you know yeah. they, they had i think didn't they have like a, a winning record against west playoff teams or something there was some stat along those lines oh, last I, year. It, that one is escaping me actually but uh maybe it was just a winning record against uh playoff teams um but i mean they they go, they have highs, they have lows, they're all over the place. You never know what team you're going to get. But at the end of the day, you're getting, if you average it all out, it's totally average. All right. Well, now that you admitted you never know what team you're going to get, would you like to make a prediction <laughs> of their record? Oh, man. I, I have a hard time seeing them finishing higher than sixth place. I, I, yeah. I have a hard time seeing them beating out a top four seed. I think we all agree that, or maybe we don't, but I, I think Milwaukee is going to be a lot better with a real coach this year. You know, maybe Indiana falls off without the surprise factor. Maybe their mid-range jumpers don't fall as frequently, um, and maybe they can nick the five seed. But I, I don't see a ton of upside to getting in that top four. Uh, and so I don't really – I mean, I, you could tell me 48 wins. You could tell me 42 wins. You could tell me 38 wins. It's all the same anyway. I hate to say <laughs> it. It sounds yeah. so well, sad. Well, I mean, I do, I do think that, that, like, if they can get up to five, you know, that might facilitate their winning a playoff run. You know, I think they would be pretty massive underdogs against any of the, the top five. Although, a series between them and Philly, I think Philly actually kind of brings out the best of these guys. I do, uh, too. I would have loved to have seen that, too, because the other thing is they they really, they're one of those teams that really does attack Embiid yeah. and make him guard on the floor. Uh, and they did that pretty well. And so that would be interesting to watch. They don't obviously have Al Horford. Uh, and the for Sixers a time, are going to switch, you know, so that's actually a decent matchup right. for, for them uh, with John Wall uh, being able to make those reads out of the pick and roll, roll yeah. throw those bullet passes uh, to corner three-point shooters, which, you know, he still has that uh, great ability. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's the best ca- – I mean, the best case scenario, right? Like, I'm trying to figure out – as I was thinking through this Dwight Howard signing and, like, listening to people try to defend it and say, like, you know, it's a gamble they had to take and whatever. I mean, my one question back to a lot of these folks is, like, like, okay, what's 
what's the world where this works swimmingly? And ultimately, the best case scenario, realistically, not outside of him regaining his Orlando form, is he's a good 25 to 30 minute a game role player, right? Sure. And if you get that out of him and you get a healthy season from John Wall, like what exactly is your upsides, even with that happening? So, and of course, the worst case scenario is that he does what he does in his last couple spots and everybody hates him and He's sort of like the friend in the group of friends that you don't want to invite, but you feel like you have to. There's like nothing really wrong with them, but they just aren't that fun to be around. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think what it like part of what it is about him is that he's just like, I think it's not even that he's a bad guy. I think it's just he's annoying. Like, he's just like he's kind of immature in the locker room and he's like farting and he's just like, you know, just doing stuff where it's like, you know, he thinks he's really funny, but he's just kind of not. And like, that's that to me. I mean, I should have asked around more about like kind of what is in addition to the whole oh i want to post up you know blah blah but like you know and and also just he's made a lot of money in his career probably just thinking that he's a a little better than he is still you know that's never good but yeah i I think that's kind of where it where it falls for me uh with him you know he's he's like that friend who's just a lot yeah you know i mean i'm I'm just guessing obviously i don't really know but that's what it seems like you Um, know there's nothing really wrong with them they're just sort of a lot yeah i mean i've been in a like a post-game locker room before you know it's always in golden state so usually his team is lost but he's just kind of although actually last year with charlotte he had a wonderful game in golden state and they won but uh you know he'll just be sort of like cavorting around the locker room and his underwear and it's like you know this is this isn't like a college locker room here like these are actually like professionals i mean i would be annoyed i don't know that i see it the same way as uh, the same threshold for what's annoying as an nba player does but um imagine over 82 games too like i think it's it's fine It, it just gets to be a lot you know I think. Um, but I mean, that's the worst case scenario is that that happens again and they don't make the playoffs. And we're talking about, you know, do they need to break the team up? You know, will, oh God, John Wall's contract for that many years and that long? Like, does anyone want that? Like, that's the worst case scenario, you know? Yeah. Well, and so, so I guess I'll give my pre- my predictions first. I'm going to go with 44 wins. I think they'll be right around where they were last year. Um, you know, Wall did miss a, a bunch of time last year, which is fair to note you know he'll odds are he'll probably play more more games but you know he may just not be as good or you you never know what's going to happen i mean but uh but that's where i have him because i'm also pricing in i think that wall will miss time uh beal thankfully looks to have gotten over uh his issues from a couple of years ago which they also really struggled to weather although you know the the amount of minutes that he's been playing uh, that's not it doesn't make you incredibly confident that he's gonna stay healthy no Porter, porter too will have his issues with that hip every once in a while so I think if if you could guarantee me that you know we'd get over 70 games out of wall beal and porter you know i'd probably be picking 47 here but that 44 is more based on on the possibility of injuries here but uh where would you go yeah it sounds about right i mean i, I feel like i'm nihilist wizards fan right now but like does it really matter <laughs> if we're talking 48 versus 42 or yeah, you know I mean, it's, it could it's be the difference the between same. winning if they get the five seed i think they could have a decent chance of winning a first round series where if they're yeah if, like they did if they're like seven the last or eight they years. won't you know if they're yeah. seven or eight they won't have a chance of winning a first round series yeah so they'll be the tough 16 six uh six game out team whether it's in the first or second round i mean i it could be any of those things i mean i i could see them repeating what they did two years ago if howard fits in no question although even that year they had like one stretch where they were incredible and the rest of the year they were just the same sort of average team so it's like been 
it's sort of a weird it's even weird to compare that um so i mean i could see it like there is a world where they get the fourth seed if one of those top four teams disappoints you know the team does make sense in terms of roles it's just you know it's like a house of cards a little bit like if something falls apart it sort of will disrupt the whole thing um so so sorry what was your official prediction then Let's say uh, 46 wins. 46. Okay. Last year, you had 50 and I had 47. And they, of course, finished that 43 and 39, getting uh, the eighth seed. Although maybe they were kind of trying to get the eighth seed. Maybe they could have gotten a little higher. I think. Did you think they wanted Toronto last year? It kind of seemed like they did a little bit. See, I think they do. But then I always wonder. I mean, it's the same thing they said they wanted Cleveland the year before. Cleveland didn't want us. Like, is it really what they want? Or is it the circumstance they put themselves in that they're talking themselves into? Yeah. You know? So, so what's, I, I think what's it's your dumb best? to oh, want yeah, Toronto. Sorry, sorry what was I, that? I don't know why they wanted Toronto. Toronto was really good. Like, they weren't the team that they swept. Yeah. Uh, you know? so uh best case scenario you think 50 is that is that what you said yeah i mean it, it's possible that they get uh the four, 50 and they challenge the sixers and if howard is you know really fits in well and if wall's healthy we didn't talk about markeith morris a lot but i think he really got a season off to the wrong foot with his injury and the uh the assault case, you know, if he's in a better state of mind, that makes a difference too. Um, I think it's possible they get to 50 and 51 and they get even the three C, but that's, that's about as high as I'm looking. Yeah. And then worst case, you know, again, without a totally catastrophic injury, but you know, a John wall missing 20, 25 games, I could see him down at 38. Uh, I say be, yeah. Yeah. What, what did you have it at? Well, I feel like they, they're very much in line for a potential, like we're five games under 500 at christmas and the wheels fall off type of season hmm. i think they're always going to be close enough to the eighth seed that they won't like just totally give it up though i mean it's hard to see them making a trade that would just yeah, be like true. kind of a give up that's trade true. um i mean maybe they would look to move beal or wall um you know who knows maybe like phoenix would be interested in john wall you know that's like they have a big hole at point guard uh but i'm not sure what they could get yeah. back but i mean i think you know and if the the wizards are playing poorly john wall at 40 million a year for the next four years after this one this is extension hasn't even kicked in yet uh i know and that's that's the thing like that's that's why this year is like really important you know it's amazing how much his rep changed year over year i mean i think there wasn't a whole lot of sort of talk that wow i can't believe they offered him the supermax when they did um maybe that existed and i didn't realize it obviously there was always the risk that his his knee but that seemed like a fairly sensible move at the time given the season he had and you know, frankly, yeah. the flight uh, risk of all these stars, you know, I, I know it didn't seem like a total like it could turn into a total albatross this quickly, you know, and a year has passed and he had yeah. injuries. So there's plenty of time for the narrative to change there. Yeah, it is. I mean, he he's someone who I think will age pretty poorly due to the lack of a jump shot and being so reliant on his physical gifts. Um, so uh, that's uh I don't know if I would have done it because I think any one of those contracts, when it's a guy who's at the very lower end of all NBA, you know, is going to turn out to be bad. And especially when you had two years, the, the irony is that he wouldn't have been eligible for that contract this summer if they had waited, you know, so that's true. Because yeah, he didn't that's make true. all NBA. And so he certainly felt the, the impetus. And I, 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 maybe they could at least have like gotten a few more concessions out of it, you know, with like some mm. non guarantees on the back end, you know, or something, something along those lines.
signs um to say hey you know because there's a possibility you may not be eligible for this next year and, and you kind of have to lock in but i mean i think you know certain franchises just you know the suns with the devin booker extension the wolves with the wiggins extension you know just have this feel of like oh man like you know we finally got someone we've been bad for so long we gotta hold on to this guy no matter what the cost as opposed to really being you know, i think they really let their emotions get into it a little bit more um and, and i think i i questioned that a little bit at the time i mean i wasn't like oh my god this is stupid but i was right. like yeah you know this could end up pretty but i mean yeah when you see that on their cap sheet uh but so so we'll see i mean if they play well this year they'll probably just keep it together and keep this group going for uh for eternity and i can get back on here for the preview next year and pitch <laughs> that it's the same guys coming back again yeah, the great irony is this is uh the ted the Ted Leonsis, the writer of the 10-point plan, whose number one rule is if you don't believe you can win a championship, start over. And he has built the complete antithesis of that team with <laughs> right now. That's the, the total irony yeah. of that. Uh, but he, I mean, he's won a lot of goodwill locally because of the Caps. But, I mean, that's just just amazing to me how he's done. He's basically built a team that's the complete opposite of what he said he would build one way or the other um <laughs> that, that is, know. yeah that's that is kind of remarkable i mean and especially like that what locking in wall there was kind of you know, yeah the final struggle i mean and, and part of it was just circumstance you know i mean they just happened that bradley beal and otto porter became restricted free agents in seasons where you know it didn't it didn't really make sense to lock them up to extensions right before that and then they broke out and there was a ton of cap space around the league right um so and and obviously then they were in this situation with Beal's small cap hold where you know it was like all right we got to spend this money so we're going to get Jason Smith and we're going to get uh, Jan Mahimi I mean Mahimi mm-hmm. to the to their defense when they signed him was the best player remaining on the market I know. at that time uh, yeah and but of course it was their strategy to say put their eggs in the 2016 basket instead of yes that's true because they thought they thought they might get Kevin Durant and uh no it turns out that didn't happen yeah <laughs> you know oh let's let's have cap space a year everybody's gonna have cap space yeah that that makes a lot of yeah, sense okay. um and, and you could construct an alt scenario too uh, like imagine that wall hadn't signed that supermax and he had another good year and now he's a free agent in 2019 he's kind of in or was it 2020 i forget which year he's sort of in the so he's sort of like the jimmy butler sort of the team is kind of floundering and he's getting restless and now i'm not sure what to do like that could have happened you know, oh, sure, sure. And I mean, and maybe what you say there is, well, you know what? If we're not good enough to make this guy want to stay, then we're not good enough to be in championship contention anyway. And so we should, you know, if, if that's really, truly Leonce's philosophy, which, eh, you know, maybe it's not. Uh, although mm-hmm. he does, I will say this, he deserves credit for paying the tax these last couple of years for a team that's not necessarily a championship contender. So I think he at least uh, deserves some credit there. <laughs> well, well, I mean, have a choice. Yeah, you always have a choice. I mean, the, the Milwaukee right, just let Jabari right. Parker go. for That's uh, true, but. I mean, realistically, Charlotte has been, uh, you know, sprinting away from the tax uh, until they run into the wall, which is like, you know, 110 million in committed salaries. But, uh, you know, they're they're It's like the tax, the tax is this fire and they're in this really small room with it. <laughs> and they've like pressed their back up against the wall uh, as far away across this small room as you can get. Uh, so, I mean, they they at least haven't stopped them the tax doesn't stop them from making moves like bringing in Howard. Uh, that's this year, true. So yeah, so I, I it's more like, credit there. But yeah, it's more like they're uh, in a house with no AC. It's uncomfortable, but we'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, all this is true and, 
you know, it, it's also, I mean, you sort of said it, but it is, it is worth repeating. And it is sort of the, the thing that happens in all these things. It's again, to bring the Butler example back, you know, it's, it's one thing to sort of say this for like average market X. It's another to say it for a market that hasn't won 50 games since 1978. You know, there is a level of restlessness and emotion and sort of emotional connection to the city, the same way that Minnesota a team that made the playoffs for the first time in uh, 12 years. And, you know, where it, it is, there is sort of that local connection that makes the sort of rational, cold sort of, well, we're not good enough anyway thing sort of become a lot harder to see. Uh, and I think that's especially with, you know, I, with Wall in particular, because not only have the Wizards been totally irrelevant for so long, but they've also been irrelevant without having like any guys that were drafted there and were like there for a long time. Yeah. You know, and at least if they are at this level, they can in 20 years, they can say, you know, we retired John Wall's number, you know, and that means something, I think. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a good way to end it here with uh, number two, potentially in, in the rafters someday at the, the Verizon Center. But thanks again to, to Mike from going on. Uh, are you doing any writing at all these days or are you all uh, you just hunkered down editing? Mostly editing, but you know, hopefully I can do a little more this year. We're trying to figure out ways. Yeah, well, I, you know, I love uh, all your film work and stuff, so I hope that, that ends up happening. And uh, we'll be back with uh, another team preview soon, at some point. Talk to you all then. Soon, at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, because I'm pre-recording all this, so this, this may not. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.